You know, most problems in healthcare are fixed already. Primary care is already cured on the fringes. Reversing burnout, physician shortages, bad business models, forced buyouts, factory medicine, high deductible insurance that squeezes the docs and is totally inaccessible to most of the employees. The big squeeze is always on for docs. It's the acceleration of cost and the deceleration of reimbursements. I want you to meet those on this show that are making a difference with host Ron Barshop, CEO of Beacon Clinics. That's me. Yes, healthcare is fixed, mostly. The 20,000 foot view, problem, fix. Let's talk about burnout. Ancillaries in direct primary care are the solution. Physician shortages, foreign MDs should be able to skip residency for a second time for three years. Rinse and repeat, doesn't make sense. Misread radiology. We're gonna talk about that today. Data scoring, every radiology group certifying winners. Medical errors as a leading cause of death. See the three above. Non-compliance of referrals, software that follows up, gamification, call reminders. Non-adherence to scripts, the same. Check out National Medication Management Initiative, one of our future guests, and One Care of Marietta, Georgia, another one of our future guests. Unusual high deductible insurance. Check out Health Rosetta, Dave Chase. Check out Redirect Health, Dave Berg. They've both been on our show. Employers' healthcare dilemma, same thing. These are all fixes, but they're from the fringes. They're not coming from Washington. They're not coming from your state capital. There are others that require more serious federal overhaul, such as over-testing and over-utilization and waste. We're not going to get into that today, but what we are going to get into is a solution that is working and changing some very important uh, aspects of care that I didn't even realize was a big problem. So let's talk about diagnostic misreads. Up to 40% of radiologists misread what's in front of them, which really shocked me because we're talking about MRIs and ultrasounds. CAT scans and x-rays, these are read every day, 40% might be wrong. So there's trillions in care that literally pivot off these front-end diagnostics. On a personal note, my grandmother passed as a direct result of a misread. Meet Ryan Vianu of Covera Health. He's a big troublemaker in some ways. He's a walking migraine in some ways because you know why? He's calling out an industry that is not self-policing and dealing with this problem. Cavera Health is looking out for you, the patient, you, the employer, by holding radiologists accountable. So, Ron, let's talk about this. What is the, uh, welcome, first of all, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ron. What is the downstream cost of all of these misreads? Um, are the diagnostics that are in front of us literally, um, they're literally at the mouth of the river of care. What happens downstream if there's a misread? I mean, it, it could be very significant and it, it could be trivial. And a part of what we're trying to ultimately tackle is understand when you have one potential versus the other. And you could have patients where it's a life and death issue. Um, you can have patients who are undergoing the wrong surgical procedure. And obviously there's a lot of harm um, or patients where they're not receiving the right surgical procedure and don't get better. And so it's really fairly complex in understanding which patients will be impacted more than others. And that's a lot of the work that we're trying to understand and do. I always had the opinion that radiologists had software checks or quality control checks or quality control committees that pulled out 
maybe 1% of all the reads to make sure that there's none of this going on. Is that not happening? So there are QA methodologies within the world of radiology where what you're describing does in fact occur. The value of those systems and frameworks are not that meaningful in that they don't provide uh, those physicians details around the sorts of mistakes they're making. They're not blinded. And so there's a physician who is looking at the work of another physician within their group. Um, And rarely does a physician want to put on a piece of paper that their colleague committed an error that may be life-threatening to a patient. And so there are a lot of flaws within that system, and it's not built around helping physicians improve. It's really built around compliance. Um, And so from our perspective in thinking about this problem, it was more about how do we create a system that would give physicians the tools and the information necessary for them to understand where the variability exists within their practices and how ultimately they can improve. Listen, I was meeting with a radiologist a week ago when I started reading about all of these misrates and learning more about this. And uh, when he was in medical school, he was covering the radiology lab for the older gentleman who was supposed to be doing his job, but this kid wanted the experience. And uh, he's, he caught a giant misread and they were going to do a surgery that was totally unnecessary. And you know what? The uh, surgeon decided he wanted to go through with it anyway. They'd already done the prep for the surgery. They'd all gotten ready. They were ready to bill. They went ahead and did a surgery that was completely unnecessary to, as to not embarrass the surgeon. Um, and he said, I, do you mind if I step out of this one? I don't want to be part of this. Do you think some of that's going on? I mean, certainly um, there are surgeons that may want to operate more on the clinical information they're getting and rely less on radiology. Uh, because I imagine that that surgeon made some sort of statement around clinically I believe that this finding exists regardless of what the radiologist is telling me. Uh, there's, there's, it's unlikely that a surgeon would proceed with uh, you know, a particular case where there's no justification whatsoever. I mean, it, there's a lot of liability from his perspective, and obviously it, a lot of patient harm can occur. Uh, and so cases like that often occur. And one of the questions for radiologists generally, given the fact that you know, they perform their job, and then these patients are... Uh, encountering, you know, one or many physicians subsequent to that. And so the question for a lot of radiologists are, you know, what impact are we having as it relates to that downstream care? Like we do our job and what happens next? And so that, that's the sort of thing that we've, we're also spending a lot of time thinking about. And, and maybe it, it's useful to even state at a higher level that for, for most people outside of the world of radiology, radiology is very much perceived as a commodity. And so most people really think of it as, uh, a service that doesn't really vary from provider to provider. And so maybe the only considerations one should have um, with respect to selecting where to go is cost or convenience or wherever my doctor is sending me. And this is a very big challenge for radiologists because if you ask a radiologist, uh, you know, are there differences in quality, consistently they'll tell you there are. Um, and they'll say, look, we're like any other provider. We make mistakes and those mistakes could be impactful. And so patients should understand that where they go for their imaging could have a real impact on the understanding of their illness and and what treatment they get. And so uh, the the challenge has been, at least for this specialty in medicine, is that not only is there not a good understanding of quality available, there's a lot of people who believe that quality is not even a factor. So what I love about your solution, before we get into your solution, let's talk about what your evolution was to even come to the question of how to uh, provide a solution for this big problem. What, what's your career path? How did this enter your brain? 
Yeah, so I'll state this to be completely transparent. I fell into the problem of quality, meaning I didn't set out as a business to say, quality, big problem in medicine, I'd like to tackle this. My background really is I've been an entrepreneur since, since university, um, mostly in health tech. And, you know, a, a recent project prior to Kavera was around building a platform for patients and payers where they'd be able to select providers based on value. And, and as you know, if you're thinking about how the market evolved, there was a junction where people thought patients would be shopping more for their services and they would obviously need more information around price and they would need information around quality. Um, and in doing that, I discovered that while everybody claims to have this thing called quality, if you ask physicians and patients and provide and payers, well, what do you, how do you define quality? There's complete disagreement. There's no consensus around this. So that makes it very easy for people to say, I have it, because nobody really knows what it means. And so when we started thinking about this problem and when we started speaking to the world of radiology around, should you be perceived as a, as, as a commodity? Are, are there these differences? And obviously, as I, as I stated previously, you know, they were very um, uh, uh, consistent around the fact that these differences exist. And so we thought this merited further research. Um, and what we did was fairly, I would say, trivial uh, in terms of kind of taking this one step further. And what we did was I asked my mother, who has a bad back, and this is a little bit of a strange story, but I asked her if she would undergo three MRIs in the New York City area. And, and for the record, uh, MRIs have absolutely no radiation. There's no patient safety issues here. Um, but the idea was I wanted to really see for myself whether my mother presented to three different centers, whether the reports and the diagnoses listed in those reports would be different to the extent that the care that she would receive would also be different. Um, and, you know, my mother being a trooper, she agreed to do this with me. Um, and her only condition was that I would go with her. And off we went to three MRI centers in Manhattan. Uh, and we ultimately took those reports and we showed them to physicians. And the results were really striking, uh, more so than we expected. And I think going into this, we expected subtle differences, mostly around how providers describe pathology. But it turned out that the differences were really that they were describing different pathologies entirely or stated differently based on one report my mother received. She had diagnosis A and in another report it was diagnosis B um, and she would be sent to uh, a vascular specialist based on one and epidurals for her low back and potentially surgery based on another. And so, again, this is my mother. This is uh, not you know scientific per se, but this was enlightening to understand that this could really be a problem. Uh, and so this really began the journey for us. We started to think about this more uh, rigorously. And the next thing that we did, very similar, but more scientific in nature, is we teamed up with two hospital systems, Special Surgery in New York City and Jefferson in Philly, where we conducted that very same experiment, but this time in, a kind of in, an, in an environment that would be peer-reviewed um, and statistically meaningful, where one patient uh, uh, submitted to 12 MRIs over the course of three weeks. And the idea of what we wanted to understand there was what was the variability across those studies um, to the extent we would understand how that variability would potentially impact that patient care. And that experience really was transformative uh, for us because the results were honestly all over the map. Um, they were ultimately uh, peer reviewed and published, but they really brought, I think, to the forefront this problem that errors exist, errors are meaningful. Um, and that they are foundational in that if you don't get the patient's diagnosis correct early on, everything that happens subsequent to that is likely or can be incorrect. And so for us, this then became a mission, if you will, to say, how do we further solve this? 
And ultimately, what would that solution look like? You know, it's an interesting problem. You have um, essentially, you would think the board, the, the board radiologist, the boarded radiologist would want to fix this problem, but they also don't want embarrassment. They don't want to. Uh, did they circle their wagons a little bit and say this isn't a problem? We're not going to cooperate. Did you ever get any of that? No, the physicians have been incredibly supportive. The world of radiology um, are the first to step to step forward, generally speaking, uh, and admit that this is an issue. The problem that they have is that they're really isolated generally from downstream care and they're isolated from the payers. And so it becomes a Herculean task for anybody and more so for them to try to solve this problem because it really requires an understanding of a patient over their entire continuum of care. Because it's, it's not necessarily just even about identifying did an error occur, it's understanding which errors are meaningful, which errors are, 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 are uh, negligible from an impact perspective. And that really requires a true partnership with all stakeholders, with payers, uh, with uh, employers. And that's something that has been very difficult for them to accomplish. But this is something that they very much want us to do. I mean, you might be surprised to hear that the world of radiology um, and again, there are always exceptions, but broadly speaking, are incredibly supportive about what we're doing. I'm glad to hear that. You know, I, I talked to a couple of radiologists about some of this data, and they're not at all surprised. And I, there was a recent uh, video that was published that showed uh, Chinese AI versus the top doctors from their top school doing a read. And not only was the computer 86% accurate, 83% accurate on the, on the first time, 86 on the second time, it did hundreds of reads in a few minutes. It took the doctors you know, 10 to 20 times as long and their accuracy was in the 60s. So 63, 66% is what comes to mind, which means 34% to 36% of the best doctors in China were getting it wrong on the um, accuracy. That's kind of shocking. Do you see that eventually um, your solution will sort of be almost system-wide and will be, uh, it'll be malpractice if you're not using your system? Is that a possibility? I think that the goal certainly is that this becomes the standard, meaning the way we're building the system is we're not building this for payers. Um, we're not really building this uh, for patients. It really is meant to help providers understand the level of quality that they're achieving. And then more importantly, give them enough information so that they can improve that level of quality. All of which obviously has an enormous benefit to patients and an enormous benefit to, to the payer community. Uh, but from our perspective, it has to start with this partnership with providers. And so, you know, fast forward three years, our hope is that our methodology is that standard by which quality in radiology is understood. Well, so, Ron, this seems like a good point for us to have a departure and get into the actual mechanics of what Cavera Health does in improving the quality of radiology. Let's tell us what your, what your methodology is. Sure. So for us, when we started along this journey, we have to ask ourselves the first fundamental question around, is there a solution, right? Because it wasn't even clear to us that a solution uh, could be uh, developed and or maybe stated differently, is radiology this subjective art where uh, there, there's no method to really understand which physicians are better or, or you know, than others in partic for particular patient populations? And so we spent a lot of time, and this is prior to uh, Covera really thinking about researching, uh, and we partnered with various academic medical centers on this topic to ask the question of, is there a way to understand uh, with direct measurement, which providers have a higher accuracy rate than others for specific patients? Or maybe stated differently, you know, if a patient requires an MRI of the brain, 
is, is there a way for us to identify which provider is going to be the most successful at identifying whatever pathology may exist in that patient's study? Um, and equally importantly, we also wanted to understand if that were possible to do, and if then we could use that information to help patients and payers match uh, patients with providers that, again, would be the best suited for them based on their specific illness or injury, what would be the downstream impact of uh, that patient's treatment course uh, and the patient's outcome, outcomes as measured in return to work, uh, functional uh, rehabilitation, uh, the surgical utilization, opioid use, and general just, uh, 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 you know, uh, return to full recovery. And so we spent some time thinking about this, and what we ultimately built um, was a fairly sophisticated uh, structured QA process uh, where we would build these large data sets around diagnostic errors across different providers, across different pathologies, um, across different practices and regions in the country, and then use statistical modeling, uh, advanced AI to ultimately derive a, a predictive metric around individual providers relative to specific patients. And so using this methodology that we built, we'd be able to say this doctor who sits in this practice, uh, and this practice has this sort of equipment and these sorts of protocols and protocols are how the machines and the equipment are actually used, would be better suited uh, for these sorts of patients. And so we spent time in building that system and scaling it. And ultimately, uh, we were able to test that system with an employer where uh, a very large employer in the U.S. conducted a, a prospective randomized trial on that system to, to where the goal was to see what would be the impact to patient outcomes when the, or, when the only variable that would be changed would be radiology. And what they discovered over a 16-month period was that those patients who are matched with radiologists who had these higher accuracy rates uh, for their illnesses or injuries did significantly better across multiple uh, important outcome features. And, and from, from our perspective, this was very validating. And from the world of radiology that has been uh, perceived as a commodity has been similarly validated, validating for them that quality matters and that patients should be more informed about which centers to go to because it could make a big difference in their care and treatment. You know, it makes complete sense because specialists, what do we have, 125, 130 different types of specialists, you have um, it broken into such splintered dynamics that uh, it makes sense that there are radiologists that are really strong in areas and weak in others for a hundred different reasons. It makes sense. So it's almost like uh, you're telling, well, we're suggesting maybe that radiologists should stay out of this sandbox and really be focusing on this sandbox. Is that kind of the direction of this? I mean, it's twofold. I mean, sometimes that's certainly the direction where a radiologist may be uh, much more suited for a particular area, and there's a lot of um, variables that would go into that conclusion. Or maybe a radiologist that needs the right uh, feedback data around their quality so that they can change maybe what they do in order to improve their quality. Um, and so, the, so I would say holistically, this is not about finding uh, you know, Dr. X is better than Dr. Y. This is about obviously identifying doctors who seem to be doing better in different areas, but also providing the rest of the community with information that will allow them to uh, self-improve, whether it's through peer learning, whether it's through practice modification. Um, but it, it's critical to give them that information so that it's not about, hey, you're not good at this, but rather here's the information that you could use to improve. 
Are there either medical schools or residencies that are producing better radiologists than others? We don't have, I would say, uh, sufficient data to draw those conclusions yet. Uh, it's possible that that's something we'll see in the future. We, what we really think are more of the driving features are around subspecialization. And I don't mean subspecialization in terms of did you go to a residency and a fellowship in a particular area, but more around what do you do all day? Meaning you, you come into the office, are you spending 50% of your time, 20% of your time reading brain MRIs? And how does that compare to someone reading 80% of their time brain MRIs? And how many of them do you do in an hour? Meaning there's a lot of features around that that we think is very impactful based on the data. And similarly, are you in an environment where if you do make a mistake, uh, what's the likelihood of somebody pointing it out to you? So if you're a radiologist doing teleradiology and you're isolated from the physicians who are ultimately receiving your reports, which in some circumstances is the case, but not all, errors may not be brought to your attention. And as a result, it's you in behavior. You may not be on, you may not be as cautious or as sensitive to those sorts of things. And so the feedback loop is also very critical, which is the sort of thing that we're now bringing to their universe for the first time. You know, I'm thinking that if we're, it takes 10,000 hours to get mastery in a subject, and maybe you're, I hear what you're saying is maybe it takes 10,000 hours for the brain and another 10,000 for the lungs and another 10,000 for the digestive system. It, it seems like 10,000 hours in a fellowship may not be enough to learn the whole human body and how to spot anomalies throughout the whole human body with accuracy. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely correct. I mean, you can have somebody as a perfect example who has a fellowship in musculoskeletal imaging, which is imaging that's the joints and spine, um, but then goes into practice in a rural community and 80% of their time is spent in other domains. And so they're doing mammography, they're doing uh, brain MRIs, they're doing ultrasounds and various things, but only 20% of their time is focused on the area where they had the fellowship. Those providers, given enough time in that practice design will likely not be as accurate as somebody who is, for example, spending 80% of the time in the area that they had the fellowship. So the fellowship itself is a feature, but in and of itself doesn't mean that a provider after, let's say, 20 years in practice is going to be one that is suited to see those sorts of patients that were related to that fellowship. So you're introducing basically artificial intelligence into this process. Do you see any pushback from radiologists that fear being replaced by a computer? No, because our goal with respect to artificial intelligence, which is very different than what's happening throughout the market generally, um, is not to replace radiologists. We're not building algorithms where there's going to be FDA approval of those algorithms so that instead of having a radiologist read a particular study, um, we, you know, the, the idea is that these algorithms would read it instead. The, the, fundamentally, the, the algorithms that we're building are to help providers identify when there's a likelihood that they made a mistake after they looked at a patient so that they can self-improve uh, real-time at that point. And so it's very much supportive of radiologists because my personal opinion, you know, philosophically is that radiology will never be replaced by AI. Certain areas of radiology certainly may be um, that are you know, simpler modalities and, and, you know, maybe x-rays and maybe certain types of CT studies. But as radiology becomes much more complicated, what I imagine will happen is that radiologists will be spending their time on these much richer data sets that they're getting from these much more advanced machines, whereas the AI may be tackling the much more 
relatively simpler areas uh, in, in support of their activities. So you're trying to give not only the doctor a good feedback loop, but to give him superpowers to be smarter, better, act, more accurate, more wise about his uh, decisions. Correct. We want to really empower them to be better. And the way to do that is help them understand where they may be making mistakes, how often they're making those mistakes, and then they can work to put together a system, whether it's, again, peer learning or some other uh, approach to, to reduce the number of errors that they're making. Well, let's talk about your new Walmart announcement. It just happened 48 hours ago, so I hope you even remember what's going on there because it's so fresh. Tell us about what's going on with your new partnership with Walmart. Sure. They've been incredibly innovative, you know, before even Covera with respect to thinking about quality and understanding that unit cost, which I think has been the focus of healthcare payers for the last 10, 20 years, is not really producing better outcomes for patients and is certainly not producing lower costs for payers. And so Walmart has been on the for forefront of thinking, how do we identify good providers that are going to drive better outcomes for our members? Because we know, and it's been well established, that doing so is less expensive than patients who don't do better. And so when we approached Walmart, and this is now close to two years ago, around what we built and how we can implement this within their ecosystem, they're very supportive because they already knew that quality matters. And so we didn't have to necessarily convince them of that. Um, and the program that we built with them was one where we want to expose their employees, their member population, to radiology centers that are best suited for their specific injury or illness so that all the other programs that Walmart has built and that the insurance companies have built around those patients related to uh, downstream care, orthopedics, uh, uh, you know, various other domains would be supported by having an accurate diagnosis up front. And I think, you know, it's very intuitive to think about patients who are misdiagnosed and that everything subsequent to that is not going to go well. So the primary focus of this program is how do we make sure that these patients are diagnosed correctly so that they have the best chance of recovery uh, downstream? So if I'm a radiologist and I'm not on the in list, I'm on the out list for, let's just say, a low back but I am on the end list for, call it uh, digestive. The, you're, not, you're not saying you're in the frat or you're out of the frat to radiology groups. You're just saying, we know what you're really good at and we know what we're gonna send to other, to other radiology groups. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Right, so within groups, we have the ability to distinguish. And so a group may have 35 doctors and we'll work within that group to understand maybe of those 35 doctors, they really excel at uh, brain imaging. And so for that group, we may say that we're going to designate them for brain and brain alone. And so for patients who need those sorts of services, we'll direct them to that to those sites. Okay. So you have 34 that are awesome at digestive and one who's great at brain is his group not going to get on your list if he's the one most outstanding brain radiologist on the planet Earth. Is his whole group knocked out of your list or will he be accepted? So it depends if the group can, one of the challenges for groups where they have limited bandwidth of radiologists in particular areas is their ability to match those patients with that radiologist. So the case that you just described, I have one radiologist who's great at brain. Um, and as you can imagine, that radiologist is not available every single day, 24 hours a day, uh, takes vacation and so on and so forth. So there are going to be patients who are going to present to that group that certainly won't have that radiologist available to them. 
And from our perspective, the question is what percentage of patients will that be? And that's not, in either way, that's probably not desirable. And so when we look at a group, we want to make sure there's adequate bandwidth, an adequate number of specialists within a particular area so that when a patient walks in, the likelihood of them getting that sort of doctor pretty much all the time is very high. Hmm. Is there any way that I, as a patient, can know that I've got a, I'm not going to call it a certified doctor because that's inappropriate, but I think you know what I mean, that Cavera has blessed my doctor to be the right guy for the right uh, procedure and that she's the right radiologist for that procedure. How, how will I, as a consumer, know I'm getting an accurate read? Because I don't see anything out there that tells me right now. Right. So today for consumers, the only available services are really second opinions. Um, and certainly I think those are, are good ideas for imaging that are critical to that patient, whether it's for cancer or it could impact a surgical decision. But at least with respect to Covera, right now our program is primarily working with employers and their, and their benefit plans to make this available. Not to say that in the future we may not have something uh, you know, that's specific uh, patient-facing, but that's not something we have today for a variety of reasons. There's a, there's a fact that I doubt most people will ever meet their radiologists. There's, they're not going to question a radiologist's credentials because they don't even know questions to ask. And the radiologist, frankly, is blithely under aware, unaware that they are not good in certain areas. They're, I think human nature is to think you're really good at a lot of different things and not to be aware of your weaknesses. So um, I look forward to that day. Right. I would say at a minimum, if you wanted to give advice uh, to your listeners, and this doesn't necessarily solve the problem and it's not even necessarily going to be correct all the time, but I think if a, if a patient were to ask an imaging center, is a radiologist who's going to be interpreting my study a subspecialist within this area, that's a reasonably good start. It's certainly not the end and it's not all-encompassing and in some cases that's not greater quality than anybody else but it's a good start. It's the sort of question that I think is important to ask imaging centers uh, because that really brings this question to the light, which is, you know, how are they finding, how do they match doctors with patients and based on what criteria? So in your perfect world, Ron, does the, does every patient get to exactly the right radiologist for exactly the right read? Um, and there's no over-testing going on. Is that, is that sort of your panacea? Yeah, there is, there is that part of the world. I and mean, one of the unique aspects of radiology is that radiologists don't need to be on site. And the example that I give to folks in the office is that we work with special surgery with their director of spine imaging, spinal imaging, and he is considered by most one of the top spine radiologists in the country. And I recognize that there are patients throughout the country that would very much benefit having exposure to him for their particular cases. So there is some idea that in the future that patients really would have the ability to be matched with those doctors that are most suited for them, even if they're not available in their local markets. Because getting the diagnosis correct has to be one of the most important things in, in, one, in one's healthcare journey. What books should uh, providers and employers read to learn more about this? I think from an employer perspective, uh, obviously they can go to our website and hopefully we'll be publishing more information about this and they can look at the literature related to this. So I think just being educated about the fact that variability exists in radiology and, and that the, the level of misdiagnosis is much higher than previously understood, I think that's a meaningful step forward um, in terms of being educated that this problem exists and then thinking about how to solve it. Um, there aren't really any books per se. It's really about just understanding that here's an area of medicine 
that there are mistakes like every other area of medicine and that people should start thinking about if these mistakes exist, how do we find the right doctor who's less likely to make those mistakes on individual patients? I got to tell you, I think this is a tell-all book. This is really quite shocking, this whole universe that I've stepped into because of you. Um, well, let's talk about if you had one message that you could fly over the uh, America at the Super Bowl, what one message would you want every American to know about? Well, that's, that's a tough question. It doesn't even have to be related to our efforts. But j- joking aside, I, I think, again, an understanding that this problem exists would really dramatically accelerate its solution, and that would reduce uh, an enormous amount of harm that's occurring to patients today within our healthcare system. Yeah. I, I wish the whole world knew about this because it's uh, most jaws drop when I tell people your radiology mate read has a potentially three in 10 chance of being inaccurate. That's quite shocking to people. You know, it's not my backyard, not never my radiology of my mother's read is ever going to be inaccurate, but poor everybody else, but it, it might be their mothers. Well, um, I think we're going to have, we're going to have to stay in touch because I'm going to watch the evolution of Cavera as you grow your model and eventually get this word out to the consumers so they can actually find um, the right doctor for the right time when they need it. And um, I mean, it's just uh, it's a very exciting new area you're breaking ground on. Thank you. All right. Thanks again, Ron. Thank you for listening. You want to shake things up? There's two things you can do for us. One, go to primarycarecures.com for show notes and links to our guests. And number two, help us spotlight what's working in primary care by listening on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and subscribing and leave us a review. It helps our megaphone more than you know. Until next episode.